Is anybody there? So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Good morning, everyone. You're probably wondering why I would pick a movie clip like that to start a sermon on anger. And the reason is simple. The anger you just saw displayed by the bishop was the anger that we should be striving to have and to display. The bishop opened his home to the thief, played by Liam Nielsen, Jean Valjean. And in return, he gets stolen from, he gets struck in the face, he's manipulated. But it's in the next scene in the garden that we see the bishop makes a decision not to lash out at the thief, not to curse at him, not to condemn him, not to tell the police to send him back to jail and lock him up, throw away the key. Probably... Most of us would respond like that with our anger. But instead, he chooses 
to be gentle and to be kind and to be loving, to be intentional and to teach. He takes his anger in that moment and he tells the thief to turn away from sin, that you've been bought back. This silver buys you and your soul. You're no longer a slave to sin, but go forward. Live your life for Christ. Perfect example of what anger should look like and the outpouring of anger should look like. So I wanted to start with that model today. We live in a world that seems to be more and more angry. We've been through circumstances in the last four or five years with the pandemic that have caused people to become angry. Politics, whatever it is, our communities, schools, we're seeing the outpouring of anger in really destructive and violent ways. I don't know whether the anger is more serious today than it was in the past. I just know that we probably see it more at the very least because of all the different avenues we have through movies and television and social media. But we certainly know that it's an issue for a lot of people. When we polled the audience, the church audience, over the last couple of months about what they wanted to hear for a sermon when Jamie was on a sabbatical, we got a lot of responses with anger as the focus. And so Bob did a sermon a month ago, and I'm doing one today. Anger is such an issue in our community that we've even come to put a label, a name, to a female and a male angry person. I don't know if you've heard this, but the word Karen, the name Karen, has been infamously linked to an angry person. And now I just learned we have a male counterpart, and that's the Kevin. So hopefully, you don't get called a Karen or a Kevin, because if that's the case, that means you've lost it. You've become angry and vented your anger in a bad way. Today, we're going to tackle this topic. We're going to do it in three answering three questions. One is, is anger a sin? Number two, we're going to answer the question, what's the difference between unrighteous and righteous anger? And number three, we're going to look at some practical steps that we can take for dealing with our anger. Before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day, for this church. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, for this topic this challenging topic of anger, something that we all deal with, have. We pray, Father, that you would open our minds and our hearts today to listen and to take something from today, apply it to our lives so that we can be better in the way of anger and that we could display our anger in a more righteous way in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question we want to answer today is, is, is anger a sin? This is a very easy question to answer. It's going to take us the shortest amount of time. But the simple answer is no. Anger is not a sin. Anger is an emotion. Anger is just a sign that something needs to be addressed. It can be used for good, and it can be used for evil. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So right there in the first sentence, it says, be angry. It's telling us to be angry. So it can't be wrong to be angry. We're built with that emotion in us. What's wrong is that we sin in our anger. 
And the second part of the verse is, is as important, and that is to not let the sun go down on your anger. Simply meaning before you rest your head on the pillow that night, deal with that anger. Go to God in prayer. At the very least, go to God in prayer. Tell him your struggles. Tell him what's making you angry. If it's a matter of repentance, repent. What this doesn't mean is that you have to solve the problem that's causing the anger. Sometimes the people that we're involved with or the circumstances that we're involved with, they take time. They take days, weeks, months, maybe even years to resolve. But before you go to bed at night, at the very least, go to God in prayer and give him that. Take that burden off of you so that you can rest peacefully and wake up the next day with a fresh emotion. Because if you don't and the devil gets in there, you'll wake up the next morning just the opposite. You'll have that anger bubbling up and it'll set your day off on a negative path. Question two is, what's the difference between unrighteous and righteous anger? Unrighteous anger is rooted in sin and seeks destruction. Unrighteous anger is born out of pride and unmet expectations. And that's a big one. That's important. Righteous anger is being angry at all things that oppose God. It's a response to sin and the mistreatment of others. And it's an attack on the kingdom of God. Righteous anger seeks positive change, correction, or fixing something that's ungodly. So let's take a deeper look at unrighteous anger. Again, it's born out of personal pride and unmet expectations. It can lead to angry outbursts, loss of self-control, and the hurting of other people. It's person-centered and is a very poor witness for Christ. A biblical story that highlights unrighteous anger is the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, 3 through 8, we see this story. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruits of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel and his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So Cain became angry that his offering was not acceptable to God. Cain became upset and jealous of his brother Abel. However, there was nothing unrighteous about what Abel did or what God expected out of Cain and Abel. But Cain's expectations were not met, and his pride was hurt. Cain had unrighteous anger in his heart, and that led him to sinning in his anger. Cain's anger led him to planning and executing a fatal attack on his brother Abel. Now let's shift to righteous anger. What does that look like? Righteous anger can change 
and fix or improve a sinful situation or a person. It is calm, it is gentle, and it is loving towards others. It's Christ-centered, and it's a great witness for the gospel. In James 19 through 20, we get extremely powerful and helpful advice. If there's nothing you take away from today, I would hope that you would take these verses home with you. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is great advice. Oftentimes, we are not quick to listen. When something happens that annoys us or frustrates us or we're sinned against, the first thing we do is we speak. And then because we speak, we oftentimes sin in our anger. If we would just be quick to listen, meaning think and process, we would be so much better off and we would have such a better approach to discerning whether what we're even angry about is righteous or unrighteous. And it's in that moment, and we're not talking about minutes or hours, we're talking about just seconds here. It's in that moment when we discern the difference that we can then speak and hopefully speak in a Christ-like way. So quick to listen, slow to speak, and then get slow to anger. This is the goal for us. We see a great example of this in Mark 10, 13 through 16. This is the story of Jesus and the little children. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant or angry and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So here we have an example of Jesus becoming angry, righteously angry, because his disciples were preventing children from coming to him. He was really angry because children have a purity about them, an honesty about them, an openness about them that he wants all people to come to him with. So if they were preventing children from coming, what was that going to mean for the adults? So in his anger, he chose to teach, to correct, to improve what the disciples were doing. He didn't yell at them or curse at them or swear at them or hit them. He loved them in a gentle way, and he taught them what to do and why. That's righteous anger and the expression of righteous anger in a Christ-like way. On September 6, 2018, Amber Geiger, who was a police officer in Dallas, Texas, got off her shift around 10 o'clock and headed home. When she got to her apartment complex, she got on the elevator, went upstairs to her apartment. When she got to her apartment door, she noticed that the door was slightly ajar. Realizing that this is not how she left it, she got concerned. Because she was concerned, she drew her gun, just to be sure, 
there wasn't an intruder inside her house. She opened the door, and when she walked inside, there was a man sitting on her couch, eating a bowl of ice cream and watching television. Scared that this man was going to be a danger to her, she drew her gun out, shot him twice in the chest, and killed him. Unfortunately, what Amber did that night when she got in the elevator was she tapped the four instead of the three on the dial. Her room was on the third floor. Botham Jean, his name, the victim, was on the fourth floor, right above her. So she was confused. She must have thought he was an intruder and erroneously shot him dead. At, his, at her trial a year later, Botham's brother, Brant, 18 years old, asked the judge if he could speak to the court. Obviously, he had been through a, a difficult time over the last year dealing with the, the loss of his older brother. He was angry and upset. But in the courtroom that day, with Amber sitting to his left, he looked her straight in the eye and said, I forgive you. I love you. And I wish that you didn't have to serve one day in jail for what you did. He then asked the judge if he could get up and give her a hug. To the amazement of most people in the courtroom, the picture you see on the screen is that hug. I would encourage you today, tonight, tomorrow, if you go home, if you have a minute, type in Amber Geiger or Brant Jean in your search engine and you'll find this video clip. It's about three minutes long. One of the most powerful examples of anger expressed in a righteous way that I could find. They embrace, they disconnect, they embrace, they disconnect. It's about a minute long. They cry with one another and they talk to one another. He wanted to show her, not just say how much he forgave her, he wanted to show her how much he forgave her. This is a great example for us of how to act with anger in a righteous way to glorify God. This is God-centered at its best. So what can we do practically in our lives to deal with our anger? So the first thing we can do is to pray, pray, and pray some more. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've been a believer, you know the power of prayer, Jamie talks about prayer. Bob talks about prayer. But it's so important for a couple of reasons. One, it's a relational thing. We relate to God. We can connect with God and develop a relationship with him when we pray. And it's in that time that we should be giving God the problems of our heart, the problems of our lives, the struggles, the triggers, the things that are making us angry should be given to God. It's in those moments, it's in that time that we get freed from those things, but God then listens to them. He listens to our heart and what we have to say. Mark 1.35 tells us, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he, Jesus, prayed. So you don't have to take my word for it that it's important, we see right in the scripture that Jesus thought it was that important, that he went to the Father in prayer. He went to connect to the Father when he needed the Father to build that relationship.
But it's not just about relationships. It's about outcomes. Our prayer life will render an outcome. Matthew 21, 22 says, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So if you go to God in good faith and ask him for things, he will deliver. He will answer your prayers. So it's relational and it's outcome-based. But it's important. If we want to deal with our anger, the best thing we can do, the first thing we can do is give it to God in prayer. Go to him and pray about it. The second thing we can do is to reflect and examine ourselves. Psalms 4.4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder or think in your own hearts about your, in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. How many of us really take the time to do this? I know Pastor Josh spoke about this last week, right? Taking rest, taking time to get away from all distractions. We don't do this enough. At least I don't think we do. I know I don't. We need time to reflect and examine ourselves in order to get better and be more like Christ. One place that I know that this does happen a lot is in our workplaces, right? We all have jobs. We all have job tasks to, to do and to perform. And periodically, we get evaluated. We sit down with our bosses and our managers, our, our owners, whatever, and they give us feedback. They might write up a report as to what we're doing, how we're doing. And then we take those reports, we take that feedback, and we try to make corrections so that we can be better. But how many of us do that in our own personal and spiritual lives? Do we spend enough time reflecting and examining ourselves for how we're doing as Christians? When we reflect, do we examine the sins of our life, the things that are tripping us up in our lives, the things that are causing us to be angry? Are we praying about them? Are we talking to other people that we trust and know as believers so that we're held accountable for our sins, for our triggers, for our weaknesses? Are we reading God's word so that we can learn more about what it means to be a Christian? Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is all about reflection and self-assessment. The psalmist talks about, in, in his prayer to God, about examining my heart to reveal what's inside. The better we know ourselves, the better we know that the weaknesses of our heart, the triggers in our life, the sins that we commit, the better we're going to be in avoiding unrighteous anger and certainly help us to not sin in our anger. For me personally, my trigger is competitive sports. I was an athlete my whole life. I played basketball, I played soccer, right through the college level in soccer. And then once I was done playing, I became a coach. And as a coach, I coach young men in, in middle school basketball and high school soccer right down the street here at Whitensville Christian. But I can tell you that through the years, my trigger for my anger has been that environment. It's been in that environment that I have sinned because my anger got the best of me. But what I learned through prayer 
and self-assessment and reflection is that it was all based on unrighteous anger. It was all unrighteous. It was the expectations I had for my team or for my players or for the outcome of the game that didn't meet, my, that didn't meet what I wanted it to be that caused me to get angry. The referee made a call that I didn't like. He didn't sin against me. He just made a call that he thought was right, but I didn't like it. So I got angry. That's unrighteous anger. But I only learned and knew that and have come to know that by praying about it. Sitting down and thinking in quiet times about how I acted, reflected, and realized that that was happening. And so what do I do with that? I put a plan in place. So now before every game, I make sure that I pray that God keeps me under control. God, please help me to set expectations for this game that are reasonable. It's not so much about the wins and losses. It's about how my team performs. Are they giving a good effort? Are they learning something about competition and about sportsmanship? I have to be an example. If I blow it and I'm unrighteous in my anger, I'm a terrible witness, not only to my players, but to the gospel and to Christ. And finally, the third thing we can do when it comes to practical steps to helping us with our anger is to remember God's sovereignty mercy and grace. John 16:33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. This is an example of God's sovereignty. Sovereignty means supreme authority over or the right of God to exercise his ruling power over his creation. God has supreme authority over all things. Proverbs 19 through 21 says, Many are the plans in the man of a mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 12, 2, A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. And finally, Nahum 1, 3 the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. All of these verses speak to God's sovereignty. But what does that mean for us in our anger? For a minute, I want you to think about a situation that you might be in where you were sinned against. You have anger inside you, but it's righteous anger. It's not unrighteous anger. It's not pride. It's not unmet expectations. It's, it's a real sin that someone did to you. They stole from you. Maybe they got a promotion at work over you because they lied on their resume. Whatever the circumstance, I just want you to envision the fact that you were sinned against, and in your anger, you handled it like Christ. Just like we saw Brant, just like we saw the bishop, you were calm, you were gentle, you were, you were intentional, you helped instruct the person or people around the situation to make it right, but in the end, you lose. You don't get the promotion, you lose out on the money, whatever the circumstance is. You handled it Christ-like, 
but you didn't gain favor. God's sovereignty is the first thing that should pop in your mind in that situation because he tells us that he's got all that covered. No sin is going to go unpunished. When that happens, that's the green tape that Jamie talks about, right? Our life, the, the ugliness of our life, the trials and tribulations, the way we handle it, even in that perfect situation that you handled well, and it doesn't go well, rest assured that God has it. He's got it covered. No one's getting away with anything. So that's God's sovereignty. That should help us in dealing with our anger. And then finally, God's mercy and grace abound. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's remember the grace and mercy that we have been shown by our Lord and Savior. Jesus died for us and our sins when we didn't deserve it. That's the grace. Yet when people sin against us, irritate us, frustrate us, annoy us, how do we respond? Unfortunately, a lot of times we respond by holding grudges, maybe shouting at somebody, cursing at them, and sometimes even getting physical with them. So when you're feeling that anger starting to bubble up inside, try to remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. This should help you to calm down and to have a healthier perspective on the situation. It should help you to see that God can love us. If God can love us and teach us and forgive us, then we can do the same for those in our lives that hurt us. So in summary, let's answer the three questions or review the three questions that we asked at the beginning. Number one, is anger a sin? The answer is no. Anger is an emotion. The second question is what's the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger? Unrighteous anger is person-centered and does not glorify God. Righteous anger is God-centered and does glorify God. And finally, what practical steps can we take in dealing with our anger? We can pray, pray, and pray some more, reflect and self-assess, and finally, never forget God's sovereignty, mercy, and grace. I'm going to call the worship team up to lead us in our last song. But before I do that, just a reminder that we have an open vote today. If you haven't had a chance to vote, this would be the time to go do that. The worship team's going to sing our final song, and then I'm going to close that meeting. So there won't be any opportunity after the service to vote. So now would be the time to do that. Um, so with that, let's rise, stand, and let's worship together.